Hey Seacoast, so good to see you here today. We are beginning a new series called Refresh, and it's a summer where we're going through the Psalms, just reflecting and reminding ourselves about who God is, who His character is, His promises for all of us. You know, after this last week, we know we want to just take a moment to say that many of us have this need to refresh, just to be regrounded in truth. We even want to say that we, as a church, are grieved for um, our brothers and sisters of color who are struggling right now, and we stand with them um, as we want to see uh, racial reconciliation and healing in our country. We also want to stand with uh, our law enforcement officers that are part of uh, our community, a Christian community at Seacoast and throughout the area. Ones who are standing for truth and they also care about racial reconciliation. They care about demonstrating the ways of Christ uh, is the way they do their job. And so we know this week has been a very difficult, complicated week. But it's one where we need to, as followers of Jesus, keep reminding ourselves of the, that there's hope in our God. There's peace in knowing him. And there is hope for our country. There's hope for healing. And it's rooted in who our God is and his promises. So that's what we're going to do all summer long with this series called Refresh. And you know, even for me, I'm refreshing this week as I'm camping with a couple of my boys. And we're in a place like this where we can be reminded of God's nature, of his truth. And so uh, allow me now to read the psalm for today. So here's the psalm for today. Psalm 63 says this, O God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you and I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. My soul is satisfied as marrow and fatness and my youth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches for you've been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you your right hand upholds me. Hi, my name is Pastor Dale, and I want to welcome you to my backyard. Yeah, when Pastor Ryan asked me to speak in our new series on the theme of rest, I thought, what better place to film this sermon from the most restful place in my life? Because when I need rest, man, I, got, I have to admit, I've got a, a great backyard. The pool's there. We've got a little water feature with water that bubbles down over the rocks. And I thought, you know, Jesus delivered sermons from a boat. Why don't I deliver mine from my floating chair in the pool? So wait just a minute. Let me get my uh, suit on. Uh, I got to get finished into the chair. Um, I don't think that's a good idea at all, okay? <laughs> the reality is I better be here at Seacoast. You don't need to see me in my floating chair. That is not the image that you need to make this message come together. But I do love the image of that water, clean, fresh, cool water flowing over the rocks into the pool. 
Because when I think about Psalm 63 that we're going to study today and that Ryan's already read for you, when David wrote it, David was thinking of his days in the literal desert. David was hot. David was tired. David was frustrated. David was trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? And in the midst of his time in the desert, he actually wrote a psalm that's going to show us where we can discover rest. You know, this time of uh, the pandemic and the lockdown has been a strange experience for me because in many ways, um, I'm not quite as busy. Now, I'm still doing my ministry by Zoom and by WhatsApp and by video links to Africa, training leaders. But we're not as busy as we would be if we were traveling. So in some ways, Becky and I are locked down at home most of the time, and we have more time to rest than any other time in our life. But I got to tell you something, on the inside, I'm tired. If there's one word that describes what I'm feeling, what my wife is feeling, what my friends and family I talk to are feeling, the most common phrase is, I'm tired. I'm tired of being locked down. I'm tired of not going to work. I'm tired, some people say, of my kids not going to school. I'm tired of daily updates on the virus. I'm tired of more Zoom calls. I'm tired of not being with friends and not being at church. And I'm even kind of tired of this online church thing. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. And I'm thrilled that this technology can help us connect to you. But you know, I'm kind of ready. I'm ready to be back with real people in real time. I'm tired of this. And then then just about a week ago, as things began to open up, Becky and I spent our first day sitting, having a little lunch and a little beverage on the beach on Tuesday. And uh, so I'm, I'm beginning to feel like, wow, things are opening up. And at the same time, now I'm tired again. I'm tired of stories of senseless killings. I'm tired of tension and turmoil in our nation. I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of injustice. I'm tired of racism. I grew up in the 60s, went to college in the 70s. I lived through some of that. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of riots. I'm tired of the news of all of it. So I want you to join me today. And yeah, let's pray. Pray together for the dear family of George Floyd. Pray for Minneapolis. Pray for our country. Pray for our police. Pray for those that have been injured and lost their lives in the midst of all of this turmoil and pray for national healing. That's what we want to be praying for. And I hope you are, but I'm tired of it. How do you get refreshed when you're feeling tired on the inside? Whenever the focus isn't so much on the circumstances outside of me, but on the turmoil inside of me? Where do I find rest? Psalm 63, which you've already heard, so I don't need to read it to you again, really gives us uh, four big lessons that I glean from David's words that help me a lot. I hope they can help you too. Let me give them to you. Number one, to rest, it begins by getting honest with God. 
talking to God in prayer, going to him. David did that. David said, if I could summarize verse one and verse nine, Lord, I am tired. I am thirsty. I am afflicted. And I'm not sure that I see a lot of hope in sight. God, where are you? What are you doing and why? See, David was literally in a desert. He was literally crying out to God. He was literally on the run. David had been chosen as king. David had been anointed as king. David knew that was his future according to God, but you know, he's in the desert on the run because the current king wasn't buying it. The current king was trying to take him out. So David knew something about pain and suffering and injustice and having to wait and wondering, how is God going to fix all this? Psalm 63 really does speak to our desire for rest whenever we're just tired of it. This past week, I spent an hour and a half on the phone with a dear friend of mine from one of my earlier churches uh, from out of state. He called and he just said, I hadn't talked to him in years. And he said, Dale, can I call you? Because I need to talk. Because right now, to be honest, I'm not doing well. So I gave him a call and we ended up spending 90 minutes on the phone. And I asked him, I said, how are you really doing? And he said, tell you the truth, Dale, I am not doing well. And probably God probably doesn't like me right now. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, look, I've been a follower of Christ for years, but let me tell you something right now. I'm tired of what's going on. I'm tired of all the tension and problems. And the fact of the matter is I've been complaining to God. That's all I do. In fact, one day I was cursing God. So, well, you know, that's probably not a good idea, but he said, so do you think God even loves me? I said, look, God can handle you. God has heard it before. Um, In fact, if you read the Psalms, and I was thinking of Psalm 63, Psalm 64, uh, I said, the Psalms are full of times when David, who was a man after God's own heart, still just vented his frustration to God. It's okay to get honest with God. In fact, I believe that to experience rest on the inside when you are really tense and uptight, God wants you to let it out. He wants you to be honest. So step one is talk to God honestly about how you're feeling. You know, God's like any other loving parent. If we've got a kid who's really in pain, we want that kid to tell us, not just bottle it up. Feel free to get honest with God. I think until you let it out, you're not going to experience rest. Psalm 64, the very next one, begins with this phrase. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint to you. And then he runs six verses long of nothing but complaining to God about what's going on and wondering where is God in the midst of it. God wants our honesty. Number two, to rest, don't just get honest to God, um, reflect and be honest about God. In other words, remember the truth about God. Reflect on what is really true in spite of what your circumstances are. In verse 1, for example, here's some highlights. David says, you are my God. Emphasis on the word my. i got a relationship with you. I've got a relationship based on Jesus Christ. Now we do that even if God feels distant, he's not just our distant creator, he's our intimate father. He's our spiritual dad. He wants us drawing close to him. You are my God. I have seen your power and glory in verse two. 
We need to stop and think back to where we've seen God work in our past and other problems we've been through with him. Number verse three, your loving kindness, it's the Hebrew equivalency of grace, is better than life in verse three. The grace of God is the ultimate source of rest. We'll come back to this in a minute. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. The gospel of grace is the greatest source of rest. It's resting from trying to work our way to God. It's resting from trying to please him so that he might please, be pleased with us enough to, to love us back. It's the unconditional, unlimited grace and love of God. That's grace. Verse 7, you have been my help. See, he kind of thought back with his history and he said, yeah, I'm in the desert now, but God, in the past, I've seen your refreshment. I've seen the cool water coming down over the rocks like Pastor Dale's pool. I've drunk from that water. I've been refreshed by you before and I believe you can do it again. You are my help. See, to experience rest in the midst of turmoil and tough times, uncertain times, here's what I would say it this way. In uncertain times, reflect on what is certain. In changing times, reflect on who never changes. In painful times, reflect on the one who suffered and experienced pain for you, for me. Reflect on the cross. Reflect on a God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. That's the kind of loving God that I need in times like this. That's the God that in Romans 8, 28 made that famous promise I've often taught here at Seacoast that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you know, that's an easy promise to quote, but sometimes you wonder, how do I know that's true? How do I know, God, that you're really going to somehow bring good from evil, that you're going to, to redeem pain and, and, and bring good from it somehow. And it's interesting because if you read down in the passage further, he explains why we should have that confidence. It's in verse 32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? You see, God knew that when the pain goes up, it's easy for our doubts to go up with it. Begin to wonder, God, are you there? Do you care? And can you really do something? You know, this week, if you're like me and you feel tired and you want rest, get honest with God. Talk to him. Tell him how you're feeling. But yet, get honest and reflect truth about God. Remember who it is we're talking to. Number three, to rest, work. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, but wait. To rest, work at seeking more than solving. Now, David says it this way. Listen to his language. Verse 1, I will seek you earnestly. I'm going to work at it. I will thirst for you. Verse 1, I will remember you on my bed. In other words, when I go to bed, verse 6, and I will meditate, you, meditate on you in the night watches. The night watches, by the way, were every three hours during the night. 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 a.m. 
They changed the night watch. And what David's kind of saying is, you know something? When I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm troubled, I'm not going to think about my problems and my circumstances and all the mess this world is in. I'm going to get my focus on you. I'll be intentional about focusing on you. David wasn't waiting for his circumstances to improve. He was making time to read the word of God, reflect on the truth about God. And we need to do more of that if we want peace. But at the end of the day, as we reflect, we have to realize I can't fix it. I mean, it's frustrating. I wish there was something I could do to fix all the turmoil and problems in our world today. I can't fix the pandemic. I can't fix all of the pain it's caused. I cannot fix the racial tensions that exist in our country as much as I hate them. I can't fix it. So I need to rest in my God. But you know what else I do is when I work at seeking more than solving, I seek God and I say, God, is there something I can do? or something I should be doing to help with the problem. For example, when Becky and I realized that there was an estimated 18 million people that would die of starvation around the world this year because of the world economic shutdown, we said, how can can we help? Well, we can't help 18 million people, but we set into motion figuring out how can we help one pastor at a time to help his people, focused especially on Africa where we serve. And and God's been multiplying that as others have gotten involved with us. So you can't help, you can't fix it, but you can do something. This past uh, 10 days or so, as the racial tensions have spread in our country and unrest, it breaks my heart, as I mentioned before, because I lived through a lot of the civil rights movement in the 60s and the 70s. And the key thing is I began to, to, to think back on that and I thought, you know, is there something that God would want us to do? Is there something we can do to help in the midst of this horrendous problem? Well, we can pray. We can pray for our leaders. But in the meantime, I'm not in Washington. I'm not in Sacramento. I'm not in Minneapolis. But as I thought about it, I thought back to, well, what has God done in my life in the past in this small area of racial tension? You see, I grew up along with my wife, Becky, in a small town in West Virginia. My parents were um, the children of coal miners from the coal fields. Tremendous segregated environments, a lot of hostility between blacks and whites. And my father was a product of that and carried some of that into our family, but But early on, I went to a school that, well, we had one person of color. Everyone else was white. So I never really understood this tension. I went away to a major university, and next thing you know, I'm in a very different environment. Well, one of my first friends I got to know was named Harry. Harry was an African-American student and a great guy. We got to be good friends. And I called my parents up one day, and I said, hey, mom, dad, um, I said, Mom, uh, this weekend when I come home from the university, can I bring a friend with me for the weekend? And Mom said, sure, you can always bring a friend. No problem. Why do you even ask? I said, well, Mom, let me give you a heads up. He's black. And there was silence on the phone. And my mom said, well, uh, I'm, 
I'm okay with that, but I better call your father and warn him because I'm not sure how he'll react. Now, I'm just being honest with you. That was my family. Well, I, the story has a good ending because Harry came home to spend the weekend with me and my dad came in off of a late evening of work at about 11 o'clock at night. Um, the first thing he did was walk in and come into my bedroom and greet Harry and welcome Harry. And the next morning when we got up and we were having breakfast, uh, it was so cool. My dad got up and I'm still thinking, I know my dad's feeling uncomfortable about this, but you know, the rest of us are eating a bowl of Cheerios and he walks in and he says, Harry, do you like Cheerios? He says, well, I kind of like them, but he says, well, how about pancakes, Harry? Do you like pancakes? And Harry said, oh, I love pancakes. I said, well, I'll make pancakes for you and me while Dale eats his Cheerios. And he sat down with Harry and built a friendship. See, that's what we need to do. A few years later, I was married and Becky and I moved from, uh, to Dallas, Texas. And Becky took a job and in her workplace, she was one of only two, uh, two Caucasians, two whites. And, and then she, every other employee but one was black. And as we began to get to know them, uh, Becky and I said to, hey, let's have your, your, your new friends at work over to our house. Let's have them over for dinner. And we invited everyone to dinner at our house. Now, we didn't think that would be a big deal, but they pulled my wife aside and said, Becky, are you sure you want us coming to your house? Because we know the neighborhood you live in, in Dallas. And you got to remember, this is 1975, 1975. This is only eight years after the, after the passage of the Civil Rights Bill. This is, there's still a lot of tension in the South. And these friends of ours, they thought, I don't think they want black people coming to your apartment building. We said, we don't really care what people want. We want you. You're our friends. Come on over for dinner. We had a delightful time, and we built friendships. If I were to give you one tip, if you're feeling tired and you think, I don't know what I can do to help, it's this. I would say this. I would say, make a friend. Make a friend. By the way, when I was down at the beach the other day, too, I passed one of our police officers in his, uh, in his squad car by the side of the road. And I stopped and kind of waved at him through the window and asked him to lower the window. And he lowered the window. And I just leaned in and I said to him, I want you to know that I am praying for you. I appreciate you. And I love you. And I feel bad for how you're being treated. You see, we need to be building friendships, friendships, friendships with police, friendships uh, with people of other races, all races, because followers of Jesus Christ don't see people by the color of their skin. We see people as people created in the image of God. So number three is to rest. Yes, to rest, you can't fix it. Work harder at seeking God than solving problems. But yet as you seek God, say, God, what do you want me to do? And then follow Jesus. Don't follow the politicians. Don't follow the mobs. You follow Jesus and you'll be going the right direction. Well, last but not least, number four, to rest, I put it this way, relax your soul. By expressing, not just believing, but expressing total trust in Christ, in God. 
Now, how do we actually do that? How do you express total trust that relaxes the soul? Well, David, give us, us some tips. We don't have time to go into depth, but here are the key words. He says, I rest in worship. I've seen you in the sanctuary, verse two. Verse three, I praise you with my lips. Verse four, I give thanks, thanksgiving. I will bless you with thankfulness. Verse five, my soul is going to be satisfied in you, not in my circumstances. And verses eight and following, he says, my soul clings to you. That's confident trust. See, those are external expressions of an internal faith that is focused on Christ, focused on our God. So David's big lesson for us is this. Rest isn't found in the changing of your circumstances, but in the changing of your focus, the shifting of the focus off of the problems and onto our Christ. Jesus put it this way, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary, that means tired, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Ultimate rest is found in drawing near to the throne of grace, drawing near to the God who wants you to climb up on his lap, relax your soul in him. Get honest with God. Yeah. Talk to him. Let it out. Be honest, though, about God. Remember who God really is as proven at the cross. Work diligently at seeking more than solving, but yet always saying, God, what can I do to make a little difference? And number four, relax your soul in him. Express it. Total trust leads to rest. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the fact that in the midst of all the turmoil of our world today, that you are the God of rest. You're the God that wants us to rest in you, put our trust in you, put our focus on you. And remember that we are here to be your followers, followers of Christ, making a difference in whatever way you lead us to make it. In Christ's name, amen.